This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to hear from Luke chapter 20. Uh, if you're able to take your Bible and turn there, I think the verses may also be on the screen for us. We're reading from Luke 20, uh, 1 down to verse 18. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. I'd ask you to keep your Bibles open to Luke 20, verses 1 through 18. But just before we dive into our text, let's take a moment and look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We're, we're just so thankful for the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that we have received in Christ. We're thankful, Lord, the way you provide for our every need, the, the food we eat, the oxygen we breathe the energy we need throughout the day. Lord, you provided in all things, but especially in a very special way, you provided for eternal life. We're thankful for Jesus Christ coming into this world to live a sinless life for us. 
so that he could be our savior. We're thankful, Lord, that he willingly went to a cross of shame that we deserved. We're thankful, Lord, that you received this act on our part, that we are therefore declared innocent, justified, holy, because of what Christ has done, because of your love, Father. And Lord, we're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit you have given us as the down payment of our inheritance as he works in us, bringing to remembrance those things which we have read and heard from your word, strengthening us, convicting us, empowering us. We're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit even now. We pray that he would unblock our ears and unblind our eyes and soften our hearts as we hear your word preached this morning. Lord, we pray for the preacher. I pray for myself. I, I pray, Lord, that my words would not be my own. I pray that you would protect everything that I say, Lord, that I would not say more nor less than you've given me to say, but, God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray, Lord, as we pray each and every Sunday together, we pray that we would leave this place changed. We know that there are many in our midst that are struggling. There are many, Lord, who are downcast, many who need to be encouraged and lifted up physically, emotionally, spiritually. We pray that you would do that this hour. We pray that you would use your word, that it would not return void, and that it would produce fruit in each and every one of us. We pray that now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. I'm going to guess that in your home you have probably heard these words at least once. You're not my boss. Can I get an amen to that? I know Presbyterians don't amen, but, but we have heard it. We have heard it. You're not my boss. It's usually shouted from the younger child to the older child. It's usually a, a fixture of defiance to say, you're not in authority over me. And the truth of the matter is that authority is important to each and every one of us. Authority matters. We want to know who's in charge. We want to know why someone gets to tell us what they think or why we should do what they tell us. The truth of the matter be, though, that more often than not, we mistakenly are more concerned about our own authority than we are the authority of God. In our text this morning, we read Luke 20, verses 1 and 2, where it says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders, that's three religious groups, came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is it who gave you this authority? Who makes you my boss, is what they were asking. Who put you in charge? Why are you allowed to speak the things you do? Why are you allowed to receive the celebration that you received where they laid palm branches down and sang songs of praise to you? Why are you one who gets to weep for us? Why are you one who gets to turn over tables and cleanse the temple? Why are you one who gets to preach the gospel? Who made you boss? Where did you get your authority? That's the question these religious leaders are asking. They're asking it not in a kind tone. They're asking it in anger and frustration. See, Jesus' authority was a threat to them. And Jesus' authority was a, was a threat to them. They were, they were therefore going to challenge 
his authority. The religious leaders were questioning by whose authority Jesus was doing the things he was doing. But don't miss this this morning. Their goal was to trap Jesus. That was their goal. Their goal was to confront Jesus, to get Jesus to say something that ultimately they could use against him to get him in trouble, to get him out of the way so that they could go on being kind of in charge themselves. Really break it down, the problem is their heart, isn't it? The problem is their heart. They didn't care where he came from. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus. They did not like his power, his authority. They wanted him out of the way. The bottom line is simple. They should have been more concerned about him. Not concerned with the fact that he was getting in the way, but really concerned about the authority he truly had and how they were responding to it. But as we've already stated, they were more concerned about their own power rather than the real power of Jesus. Tell me where in Scripture Jesus asks for permission to perform a miracle. Tell me where Jesus asks for permission to preach or to teach. You'll never find it. You know why? Because Jesus had absolute authority. He is the Son of God. He is the creator of the world. He rules over all. Yet how easy it is to be more concerned about what we like or what we dislike or what we want rather than what Jesus wants. Rather than what the creator of the world wants. Rather than what the sustainer of our lives desires. Rather than what our Savior demands. If we're not careful, we can slowly find ourselves to be very much just like these religious leaders. As a believer in Christ, we're confessing that the word of God carries absolute authority. Jesus is the living word, but Jesus has also, through his apostles, through his prophets, through his teachers, given us a written word. A word that is with us daily. And that word has absolute and final authority. Listen to what our own confession of faith says in chapter 1, section 4. It says, The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, depends not on the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself. The author thereof, and therefore is to be received, hear this, because it is the word of God. We sit under the word, we don't sit over it. And yet in too many religious circles, there are those who sit, they think, over the Word of God. They pick and choose the things that they will believe. They disregard things that they don't like. They begin to ignore passages that become offensive to them. And in doing so, they believe that their authority supersedes that of God. Friends, the Bible is to be believed Because, as our own confession of faith says, because it is, in fact, the word of God. It's not the word of man. It's not the word of the church. 
It's not the word of a bunch of elders. It's not even a history book in a sense. It is the very word of God, and it comes with absolute authority. Church, we need to understand this is a serious issue. Because we meet people every day who call themselves Christians, but do not believe the word of God. We meet people every day who call themselves Christians, but they dismiss passages they don't like. We meet people every day who call themselves Christians who excuse behaviors that the scriptures themselves reject. Do we sit over the word or do we sit under the word? How we respond to God's authority matters. So I ask you this morning, what about you? Because it's easy for us to be concerned about everyone else. But what about you? How do you respond to the word of God? Are you submitting to the authority of God in your life? In Jesus, who he said he was, the very son of God, who came to the world to die for sinners, do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus was more than a mere example of how we should live, but that he truly is your salvation? What about the Bible, God's word? Do you submit yourself to God's word? Does God's word have absolute authority in your life? The things you choose to follow, the things you choose to believe, the things you choose to do, does the word of God have absolute authority? authority in your life well jesus began to interact with these religious leaders who were questioning who's the boss who made you in charge jesus therefore flips it and asks them a question look at verse three he says i will ask you now a question basically jesus is doing something here that we should not miss he's saying you're not in authority here i am I'm therefore going to ask you a question. Jesus often did this when the religious leaders would come to him. He would say, no, no, answer me first. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's saying, I'm in charge. I have authority. Jesus makes it very clear that he is the one in authority. And so what does Jesus ask? Look at verse 4. He asks about a baptism of John. He wants to know whether they view the baptism of John as being from heaven, from God, or do they view the baptism of John as being from man? What do you say? Jesus begins to put his own finger in their chest. What do you believe? Jesus is getting at the heart of the matter. Jesus is saying, I want to know what you religious leaders think. We already knew. They had already rejected and dismissed John not as a prophet. They said he was just a mere man, and therefore they rejected his baptism. We can read about that in Luke chapter 7, verse 30. But they rejected the baptism of John. They didn't see themselves as being in need of anything that John had. So Jesus, pointing to this, his finger in their chest, asked this question, What about the baptism of John? It's interesting what the religious leaders do. They huddle up. See, the the response has to be calculated on their part. They can't speak what really flows from their heart because if they do, it'll get them in trouble. 
It will expose who they really are. So they need to huddle up. They need to calculate their words. And they begin to discuss their response. It's interesting that we're given a kind of a bird's eye view of that holy huddle. Or should I say unholy huddle. What happens, what's said in that huddle matters. They understand that if they say that John's baptism was given by heaven, they themselves would be condemned for rejecting John. But they also know that if they say it's from man what they truly believe, then the crowds would reject them, and perhaps they themselves would even be stoned by the crowds. For the people viewed John as a prophet. So what will the religious leaders decide to do? Well, they decide not to answer. They do what every weakling always does, runs around the truth rather than speaking the truth. Look at what they say in verse 7. We don't know. They hold up their hands and they shout out, we're not certain. Thinking they've gotten out of it, it just exposes the cowards that they really are. See, they won't state what they really believe for fear of man, yet all the while they have no fear of God. They have no fear that John and his message came from heaven. They have no fear that Jesus, pointing his finger in their chest and calling them out, has any authority over them. No, what do they fear most? Man, power, acceptance. They've truly been exposed as inadequate leaders, haven't they? The world is filled with inadequate leaders. But praise God, he has given us the perfect leader in our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. One who never fails, one who never runs, one who always speaks the truth. The fact of the matter is, for these religious leaders, it's telling, it's sad. They were more concerned with personal authority than submitting to the true spiritual authority of Jesus. For these wicked leaders, the truth was far less important to them than personal ramifications it might have if they actually admitted the truth. They claimed, we don't know. And so they stood there expecting Jesus to do something. Jesus earlier in his ministry says this. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. See, by their running around the truth, by their masking their real beliefs, they were showing whom they were from. They were showing that they were not on the Lord's side, but the enemy's side the side of the devil. Friends, may we ever be willing to submit to God's word. May we ever be willing to stand for truth even when it's not convenient or comfortable. May we ever be willing to live lives that honor Christ rather than seek our own placements and joys and happinesses in a sin-filled world. The bottom line, these religious came these religious leaders came to undermine Jesus' authority, but all the while they exposed their own lack of true authority. So then you were told that Jesus begins to tell a story. Jesus often used parables, and Jesus often used parables regarding farming. 
This story is no different. It's a story of a landowner who had wicked tenants. Now, I remind you that tenants are those who rent the land. They don't own the land. We're told that this landowner actually bought a field, he planted a vineyard, then he, ho- then he brought in tenants to care for it. And he went away on a long journey. And while he was away, he, did, he knew that the crop season had come and he sent his servant to go get him his produce, his portion. We're told that the first servant was mocked and sent away. The second was mocked and beaten. The third was beaten severely. They rejected all three servants of the landowner. And what's interesting is gradually we see the severity of their reaction as they got more and more hostile to their landowner. Friends, this is a perfect picture of the way in which the people of Israel treated God's own prophets. Listen to 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. That story there in Second Chronicles is a picture of what has happened to all of the prophets and yes, what has happened to even Jesus Christ. Yeah, think about the mercy of the vineyard owner. When he sent the first servant and he came back embarrassed and empty-handed, the vineyard surely could have sent in the sheriff and sent in the authority and, and brought those wicked tenants down, but he showed mercy. He sent yet a second servant. And again, he had the right to beat down his tenants, but he then took the time of mercy and, and diligence to send a third servant. This time they beat him pretty severely and he comes home empty-handed yet again. And I want you to see the deep mercy of the vineyard owner. Look at verse 13. Finally, the landowner sends his beloved son saying, perhaps they will respect my son. What mercy. Friends, the world has experienced the deep mercy of God every day. I know we don't think about it much, but the very fact that God does not send Hellfire down from heaven right now is mercy. The mercy of God is rich. The mercy of God is deep. And we have each experienced that mercy, just as the people in this story. And yet, look at the tenant's response in verse 14. They see this as an opportunity to steal the son's inheritance. They see this as an opportunity to kill the son. What's their desire? To actually commit murder. Why? For their own pleasure, their own good, their own welfare. But I think they're missing something. They're misunderstanding the master's mercy as weakness. Do you hear me this morning? How often we misunderstand the master's mercy as weakness. His long-suffering is his mercy his gentleness. Yet it should be a warning to each and every one of us. Because look what happens after they kill the son. In verse 15, Jesus asks this question. What do you think will happen to these tenants 
when the landowner returns. Well, he already says in verse 15 what will happen. He explains very clearly what he says. As he moves on, he says, and they threw out, verse 16, and when he came and destroyed those tenants, and he would give the vineyard to others. And look at the response of the people when they hear this. Surely not. When they say surely not, what are they really saying? Let that not be so. Don't stop being merciful. Don't stop being compassionate. That's what they want and expect from the owner of the vineyard. That's what people expect from God. We hear all the time, God is loving, God is gracious. And friends, that is true, and praise God it is true. But God is also holy, and God is also just. And we cannot favor one of God's attributes to ignore the other. God is perfectly loving, and he's perfectly just. We see the master's justice here on display as he sets out to bring vengeance on these wicked tenants. This parable is aimed at the religious leaders and they know it. They understand they're the tenants. They're given oversight of God's flock, God's vineyard. In this parable, we see God's great mercy and God's great justice. It's clearly a warning sign to all of us. How are we submitting to his authority? Let me say it this way. Friends, how are you managing all that God has given you oversight of? How are you managing your gifts and abilities that he's given you? How are you using them under his authority? How are you using your resources under his authority? How are you ruling and living as a family under his authority? The, far, the big problem far too often is that we presume upon God's mercy, ignoring his call for holiness, ignoring his call for perfect justice. Friends, as we look at this story, we see that Jesus explains very deeply that there is a cost for rejecting his authority. Look what he quotes. He actually quotes Psalm 118. Last week, I told you at the triumphal entry, that was the song that everyone sang as he came in riding on a donkey. Everyone celebrated. Everyone was amazed. And yet now Jesus continues to quote that psalm. Look what he says in verse 17. The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders are there described as the religious leaders. They've rejected Christ, the chief cornerstone. But the chief cornerstone is the prized stone on which everything else is set. Christ is our hope. He is our foundation. He is our life. What we do with Jesus matters. And that's Jesus' point. And Jesus' point is simple. Jesus' point is repent or perish. Did you hear that this morning? That's the message that the world needs to hear, isn't it? It's the message we ourselves need to be reminded of. As we consider how we live our lives, we need to remember that we need to repent or we perish. The parable of Jesus is really a parable that is an autobiography as Jesus is telling his story in reaction to the religious leaders of his day who would reject him and kill him. Think about it. As Jesus is telling this very story, they're already plotting on how they're going to kill him. Drop down all the way to verse 19. 
It says the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. The anger, the frustration, the hatred towards Jesus. Friends, it's no different in our day and age. Jesus is the stumbling stone. People are offended by Christ. And the scriptures tell us this isn't anything new. We see it in places like Romans 9, 32, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Again and again and again, we're told that Jesus is the stone of stumbling. We're encouraged not to stumble over Jesus. We're encouraged to respond in obedience to Jesus, to submit to his authority, to his rule and lordship in our lives. And here's the warning. If you don't submit, Jesus says, you'll be crushed. Look what he says in verse 18. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it crushes him. Church, what we do with Jesus really matters. What we do with Jesus really matters. It's not enough to give Jesus lip service, to call ourselves religious. It's important that we understand what we do with Jesus really matters. Listen to Jesus' words to Nicodemus, another religious leader a religious leader who was asking deep questions about Jesus. Hear Jesus' response, beginning at verse 14. And as Moses was lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, talking about the bronze and serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you remember that story, when they were bitten by snakes, Moses lifted up a bronze and serpent to heal those who looked upon the bronze serpent. And Jesus is saying, so as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then comes that famous verse, for God so loved the world, that compassion, that mercy, that long-suffering, for God so loved the world, what did he do? He even gave his only son. Isn't that what it told us in the parable? that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave them moment after moment after moment, and even sending his own son, he gave them moment to repent. But what would they do? For whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why he sent him. And yet listen to verse 18. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe in is condemned already. Offended by him, stumbling over him, will be crushed by him. Because what we do with Jesus matters. So church, I ask you, what are you doing with Jesus? It's not enough to say, well, I come to church, or I'm religious. My friends even know I'm religious. The religious leaders were viewed as being religious, but what did they do with the authority of Jesus? So I ask you, what are you doing with the authority of Jesus in your life? 
Are you submitting to him as your absolute Lord and Savior? Are you trusting that he and he alone can save you and therefore you need to submit to him and to him alone? Church, I pray that you're not finding yourself stumbling over a crucified Savior. To many, the cross is an offense, but for the believer, it's the place of great joy because in the cross, we see, yes, a bloody Savior, who went in our stead. He died and he rose again. And because he lives, we know we live. Church, what an irony this story tells. See, in Jesus, we see the perfectly obedient son to the father, even to the point of death so that he could bring life for others. Yet the religious leaders were absolutely disobedient rejecting Jesus and all of his authority. And what did their disobedience bring? Not life, but death. Church, for each of us, we need to notice that it can seem at times that people are religious, but what matters most is what do we do with Jesus and his word? That's what makes one a believer. Do we truly see Christ as our Savior? Do we really truly submit under his word as it guides us? Church, what we do with Jesus and the word of God truly matters. Hear Jesus' own words as John quotes them. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we disconnect in many ways from the sermon, I pray that you would continue to penetrate our hearts in the daily matters of our lives. That you continue to probe that question in our mind and our hearts about how am I submitting to Christ. Lord, we know that there is a cost to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples to count the cost. So, Lord, I pray that we would truly be calculating and trusting and following, not just merely with our lips, but with our whole lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.